from Matthew 23. We're just going to look at the first few. Uh, we're going to break this up into two sections, some of the woes this week, some of the woes next week. Um, this week, we're just looking at verses 13 to, 30, to 13 to 24 of Matthew 23. So uh, please just stand with me to read the Word of God. We stand for a couple reasons. One, because it's a sign of God moving in and through us, and also because these are God's words and they're holy. So we stand in reverence of that. We read the whole chapter last week. We're just reading verses 13 to 24 this morning. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. This is Jesus speaking again. For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, If anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. You can be seated. Um, thanks for praying for me this morning, Corey. That was great. Uh, so as we talked through the false gospels last week and what that looks like, uh, we're approaching again this, to- this idea, this topic of hypocrisy, this idea of hypocrites, the false gospel that lies in the central message of kingdoms for the scribes and the Pharisees. And everything about our lives is all coming back to representing a kingdom and what we choose to live for. And this idea of kingdoms, this is the whole message of the book of Matthew as a book of the Bible. Um, I started preaching for Matthew in chapter 15 uh, about 11 months ago. I started with the the parable of the treasure in the field, the pearl of great price. Um, And these parables, if we can think back 11 months ago, if we were even here, uh, they're, they're about, again, the kingdom of heaven and what that is. The Beatitudes, which pretty much start the chapter. We'll get to those later. Uh, those are all about the kingdom of heaven. The whole of Matthew, it's all talking about this idea that there is a kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And the holistic view of Matthew is that Jesus is the king of this kingdom. The birth, the life, the death of Jesus, this is all what's going on with the whole book of Matthew. And this is what we've been going on, going in for uh, a long time now. Um, But it does revolve around us needing to know better who Jesus is. And we need to understand better why the kingdom exists. We need to understand why we need this kingdom and how we can inherit this kingdom, not reign over the kingdom. So the kingdom of heaven is not a kingdom that we control. It's a kingdom and run by a king, Jesus, that we submit to. And we, when we submit, we find freedom, which is the exact opposite of how we view the word and imagine the word submission today. Um, so what happens if we are seeking this kingdom? What happens if we say we are in the kingdom of God, submitting to Jesus, but then we act otherwise? We act in a way that is not submitting to the kingdom. 
This is hypocrisy. So hypocrisy, we've talked about before, is acting. It's saying one thing and it's doing another. And there's, I'd say, a couple types of hypocrisy, a couple different ways to look at it. Um, in some ways, I think, are true hypocrisy, and some we might say are hypocrisy, but maybe aren't really. Uh, for example, let's just say after church today, uh, you want to talk about something that was said in the sermon, talk about life, whatever. We decide we're going to meet up on Wednesday morning um, at Denny's because I still have a free Grand Slam thanks to the Cavs. And, uh, and so we go to... So I go to, to Denny's on Wednesday morning. We're going to meet up, and you don't show up. I'm calling you. You don't answer. You totally stand me up, but I saw my grand slam, so it's not that bad. I leave on my way home. You know, I'm upset. I didn't get to meet you. You told me you were going to be there, and you didn't show up. You're a hypocrite, right? And on my way to work, I get a call. You say, Philip, I'm so sorry. I wanted to meet you there. On my way out, I got T-boned at the intersection. I got in an accident. I've been dealing with the police, dealing with car insurance, dealing with this guy all morning. I'm sorry I couldn't make it. Did that make you a hypocrite? You said you were going to come, you didn't come. Something else happened, something else got in the way. I don't think that necessarily makes you a hypocrite. And I think that's how a lot of people view Christians in the church today, when they call them hypocrites. Well, maybe it's not really a hypocrite. We'll talk actually a little bit more about that next week. Um, But what we're seeing in the Pharisees and the scribes this morning is that their hypocrisy um, is very much driven out of their motives. What are their motives? Their motives have a lot to do with how they're acting. And so the Pharisees and the scribes that Jesus calls out here, they have wrong hearts. And everything that he calls them out on within their hypocrisy, it's all done out of a contrite heart for the scribes and the Pharisees. It's not done out of pure motives. It's done out of a false gospel. And so at the same time, while this is how they're living, I don't uh, want you to think that since you're not, maybe you don't think you're intentionally denying God, or an outright hypocrite like the scribes and Pharisees that you can just check out this morning. Um, Don't do that. I think a true mark of a Christian, a true sign of a Christian is somebody that takes these warnings and really pays attention to them. Somebody that can hear what Jesus is saying and thinks very, very seriously as to whether or not it applies to them or not. A true Christian is going to hear a warning from Christ. All of these woes, a woe is a warning, danger. Watch out. They'll hear, they'll see, they'll read. And will ask themselves, is that me? Is my life lining up with a false gospel or with the gospel of Jesus Christ like we see in the Bible? I need to examine myself. I need to examine my actions, my thoughts, my life. I need to heed every single thing that the Bible is saying. I need to check this. This, this happened actually to me this morning. It was one of those weird things. You know, I, have, uh, I have a roommate, and I woke up, and he was gone. The door was open, and I was up early. And what do I th- have you ever had this? You wake up, and people are gone. And you're like, it was the rapture. I missed it. What happened? We've all probably done that at some, I don't know, maybe we haven't, maybe it's just me. But I think that's okay. It's okay to wrestle with that, right? It's okay to say, wait, what happened? God, I know you. And you pray and you say, God, no, I swear, I do know you. Okay, I love you. Thank you for accepting me. I'm your child. Great. But it's okay to struggle with that. we, We probably should if we're true Christians. We always want to hear these things and see how it's applying to me and see what I need to change about my life to make it better. And how are we going to know these things that we need to change if we don't know the Word of God? We need to know our Bibles. We need a better understanding of these love letters that God wrote us. If there's something I want to characterize our church is that we have an understanding of Scripture. And I know there's at least two people in this room that are praying for that for our church. just talked about it on, on Thursday night. We really want that. We want a better idea 
of Scripture. So here we are in Matthew 23. This is Passion Week. Again, it's the last week of Jesus' life. And the text this morning is more or less one of his last sermons, you could say, almost one of Jesus' last discourses. Um, It definitely relates very much and correlates a lot to Jesus, one of his first sermons that we see in Matthew, the Beatitudes. I I mentioned this earlier. Let's just read the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, as a whole right now, and we'll be breaking down and comparing um, each one a little bit later here this morning. But Matthew 5, verses 2 to 11, the Beatitudes. Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when all others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So, again, that is one of Jesus' first sermons, more or less, that he gave uh, to the people. And so the antithesis of this sermon is actually what we see in Matthew chapter 23. Jesus' life as a human on earth is coming to a close very shortly, um, but he gives one last chance to these scribes and these Pharisees that are listening while he's here as a human in the flesh. And everybody listening has a chance to do something about it. And so we're going over three things this morning, three things I want to look at. First of all, we see from Jesus a call to change our actions. All of this about hypocrisy. How are these Pharisees and scribes acting? The first thing we see is a call to change our actions. Secondly, we see that there is time to change our actions. We'll talk about that. And thirdly, we'll talk about our ability to change our actions. So first, our call to change our actions. Again, this isn't just for the Pharisees and scribes. It's for you and me as well. Um, So in your ESV Bible that you're looking at, or uh, maybe any other modern translation of some sort, you'll see that there are seven woes pronounced by Jesus. If you're kicking it old school with us this morning, you might have eight woes in your Bible. Um, I would kind of doubt it. You probably have seven, but I'll talk about that in a second. Um, So I'm breaking down these woes. We're just looking at the first four this morning. I see them as pretty practical, um, actual things that the Pharisees and scribes are are doing that he is uh, revoking, but in the end, it's still a matter of the heart. Um, Next week, we'll talk more about the theoretical things they're doing as well. Um, So we're looking at the first four woes in the context of Jesus who is calling us to change our actions. So the first woe, verse 13, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. So the scribes and Pharisees, as we talked about last week, they're giving a false gospel to anybody that would listen. They give a list of rules. They're giving a list of regulations, things to follow that is really impossible for anybody to keep. And so they would literally shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. They say, yes, this is it. This is what you want. Here are the rules, and you have to keep them all. And as they see heaven, they hold up the rules in front of them. They say, nope, you broke this one. Sorry, you're not in. And they pretend like they are keeping all of them perfectly. And so it wasn't until Jesus comes around that he says, actually, you haven't followed these either. He's the only one that had the ability to do that, or at least Augusta. I'm sure somebody else could have, but he's the one that actually did it. And look what happens to him. Um, the scribes and the Pharisees uh, said they followed him, but, but they didn't at all. 
They were breaking stuff all the time. Their motive, again, was wrong. This is what made them hypocrites. They're saying one thing. They know it's wrong in their heart, but they're still going with it anyway. They wanted to look better than other people, and the only way they were going to look better is if they lied about being perfect. And this is not at all what God wanted for Israel. If we look at Mount Sinai, what happened there with Moses on Mount Sinai, let's look at Exodus 19.5. This is God's promise. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. Obey my voice. Keep my covenant. But this is not what the scribes and Pharisees were giving people. They didn't encourage others to just obey God's voice. They encouraged others to obey their own voice. Listen to me and what I say and the rules that I make up. They were giving rules without the promise of a Savior. They were giving regulations without Christ, and it never has a good ending. So the best illustration I could kind of think of how somebody could shut the door on somebody else, I was thinking about my own job right now. I'm an admission counselor at Hiram College. Um, so one of the things that I do is I meet with prospective students, um, a part of the application process of personal interviews. So I meet with them, talk to them, I review their essay, I look at their transcripts, their uh, test score, ACT, SAT, all that stuff. Um, and then I decide whether or not I think they would be a successful Hiram student. And I say, yes, they're either going to be admitted or they're going to be denied. Um, and so that's kind of the first part of somebody coming to Hiram. The next part, uh, which is a huge part, is people always ask about money. How about, how about money? How much can I get? Will I be able to afford it? How much is it going to cost for me to come to Hiram? So as I think about the scribes and the Pharisees um, literally preventing people from entering the kingdom of heaven by accepting this free gift from God, I thought about what it would be like if we had a, a scholarship at Hiram that was all-inclusive. So it wasn't, usually at schools, a full scholarship is just tuition. What if there's a scholarship that was tuition? It was room, it was board, it was books, it was laptop, it was Chipotle, it was anything you were going to want. Everything. An all-inclusive scholarship. And the way that you were going to get this scholarship was easy. All you had to do was say, yes, I'm coming to Hiram. I'm committed to coming to Hiram. And then, boom, you have this all-inclusive scholarship. You're in. But me, instead of letting people have that scholarship and letting them know that it exists, I want them to do what I did when I went to Hiram years ago. And so instead of telling them, yeah, just commit, and this is all here waiting for you, I tell them steps that they should take. Oh, well, you know, you want to get some money, so we have some internal scholarships. You get it based on merit. You get it based on what you need. So apply for these within Hiram. Then there's outside scholarships that you can apply for, and definitely make your prom suit and your prom dress out of duct tape. Get that duct tape scholarship. Do all those things. Then if you build up enough, you know, you'll probably be able to cover your tuition. But in the end, it's still just going to cover tuition. It's not going to cover room and board and, and their laptop and all the other stuff. And so by this point in time, they're trying to build up enough money. They can't do it, and so they miss out. They're not in the class of 2019 at Hiram because they just couldn't afford it. But really, all they had to do this entire time was just commit to Hiram first, and that all-inclusive scholarship was waiting for them. But instead, I'm making them jump through hoops and telling them, yeah, that'd be great if you could commit, but first, do all these things. It's what they're doing. Preventing people from seeing the true gospel, the true gospel that it is free. We can attain the kingdom of heaven through what Jesus Christ did for us. We just have to commit to it, and we have it. We don't have to jump through hoops. We don't have to build up to it. Let's not prevent people from finding the kingdom of heaven. Matthew uh, 5, verse 3, the first beatitude that we see, let's contrast it here. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what's the opposite 
of a hypocrite not entering heaven. The opposite is somebody that is poor in spirit. Those that aren't prideful, not arrogant, not demanding that others go through what they had to go through before they found God. The ones who chose the narrow gate and they rely on Jesus for their salvation rather than their good works. To them, the poor in spirit, there's the kingdom of heaven. So don't wait until people change their life before you tell them to commit to Jesus. Don't tell people that they need to take all these steps before they get to God. Just take them to God. Take them to the cross. And then trust in God that the rest is going to happen for them in that life of sanctification. Pray for them. Prayer is a big deal. It's important. That's why we have this uh, all night, right? Come, pray, sing, worship. The next woe that comes from Jesus calling us to change our actions in my Bible is verse 15. Um, Verse 14 is kind of like the 13th floor of hotels. It is non-existent. Um, You might have a footnote at the end of verse 13, maybe at the bottom of your Bible. Um, I have one in there. And verse 14 in some Bibles is, um, it's a woe for devouring widows, um, for devouring widows' houses, and um, making long prayers to be seen. Uh, So this, where this comes from, the reason it's not in many Bibles today is is they found more original manuscripts. Uh, They realized that that probably wasn't in there from the start. While it is still biblical, it makes sense that maybe somebody was just making a note like, oh yeah, these scribes and Pharisees, this reminds me of how they did this wrong, made a note, and then some random Bibles have it in there. Uh, but for the most part, look at the originals, it's not there, so they took it out, which um, I think is really awesome that our Bible is that accurate. <laughs> if there's something that isn't showing up in the originals, then it's in the footnotes instead. So um, we can have pretty good confidence. So uh, back in the second woe, the ESV will show you in 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. So again, this is something the scribes and Pharisees, they're literally doing. They're actually going out just to make one convert. And they're converting people to a false gospel. They're convincing people of self-righteousness. They're convincing people of a religion, of rules, of actions that can't be upheld by anybody. And they're making people follow that, which ultimately leads to hell. And that's really hard to say. Talking about hell is is never an easy thing. Um, And this one is, I would say, even harder for me to swallow because there are so many relationships that I have where I see this and have seen it all the time. I think about every summer at Hiram, the literally hundreds of youth that come for the Latter-day Saints camp, and they're they're all there. I think about the people in the black pants and the white shirts and the black ties and the backpacks and the bike helmets. They're the same in Italy as they are in America. They go around teaching a false gospel. Think about the refugees, good friends of mine in Rome, and how... Adamant they were that I needed to convert to Islam because it doesn't make sense that somebody else could die for your sins, so you have to earn it yourself. And they're telling me this. So this is really hard for me to see because because these are friends. They're people I know. And yet they're leading people the wrong way, the wrong path. And Jesus is giving them a chance to change, giving them a chance to convert, really. And this isn't far away from us either, this idea of proselytizing. It's not only proselytizing and changing somebody's views of a different religion from Christianity. I think this hits home for me where I think about any time I tell somebody or something or give somebody advice 
other than taking them to the cross? I'm making a proselyte of something other than the gospel, something other than Jesus. How often do I give advice that doesn't even make sense outside of what Jesus Christ did for us? I probably do it a lot. I've thought about it a lot after this, and hopefully you can think about that too. How often are you giving advice to people that doesn't line up with the Bible? That still is making a false proselyte. Let's not do that. And how are we going to not do that? Again, better understanding of the Scripture and understanding how this relates. And just so you know, Jesus relates to everybody all the time. He does to me. He always does. People want to hear the truth of the gospel. Everybody's looking for it. Compare the second woe then to the second beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And so how does this relate? Let's think about the people that are mourning. Why are they mourning? It might be because of what they're giving up or what they're going through. Matthew 10, 37 to 39. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus says some pretty heavy stuff. It's easy for us to forget that sometimes. But as we think about this, what about us? Where are we right now? Are we going through a difficult situation? There's something happening in your life that is really weighing you down. Are you mourning something going on in your life? I know I am, and you know what? You'll be comforted in Jesus Christ. But you'll never be comforted if you don't take that morning that we're going through and ask God, God, what are you trying to teach me right now? Because that's what we have to do in times of struggle and hardship. We have to ask God what he's teaching us. We can't always change our situations. And situations happen, and we have no idea why, and we can't explain it. And all I ever want to do is change my situation. Change the person that is affecting the situation. Change the outside thing out of my control affecting the situation. Why do I do that? Because I want things to be in my own hands. But what I need to do is ask God, what are you trying to teach me through this situation? And then it's through that that we can actually find God through that morning. How can you take your situation to the cross this morning? So, do you want to make a proselyte? You want to see somebody convert? Point them to Jesus. Take them to the cross. Pick up your cross along with your brothers and your sisters and go to Jesus. And I think that's the difference between the proselytes the hypocrites are making and the proselytes a true Christ follower makes. A true follower of Christ never says, hey, follow me. 1 Corinthians 11.1. We can memorize this one. It's not too hard. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So we say, follow me as I follow Christ. We don't just say, follow me. We point others to Christ so that they might receive a saving conversion from Jesus. And do not do this for yourself. Don't show other people Jesus for yourself because leading others to Christ will save them. It will not save you. Only you coming to Christ is going to save you, not what you do. The third woe, verses 16 22. Woe to you blind guides. And here we go off on this list, swearing by the temple, it's nothing. Oh, it's actually the gold that matters. Oh, we're going to look, it's actually the altar. Well, it's what's on the altar. It's this, that, and the other. You can read through it again. 
Whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God, by him who sits upon it. So this woe is special because Jesus isn't just calling them Pharisees and scribes. He's calling them out, your blind guides, making sure they know outright that he knows what their jig is. The jig is up. They're caught. Jesus knows it. And he points to the absurdity of what the leaders are doing here. They made these minute distinctions of what was acceptable and what was not acceptable. This is like when you're a little kid and it's okay to lie because you cross your fingers. And I remember being with Thomas being a little kid and we were going to promise something while you go like this so that you make sure you're not crossing anything because if you cross your fingers, you're allowed to lie, right? But this, you could always cross your toes and so nobody really knew. And I don't know, we got into, we got into that a lot. Uh, but don't play these games. Don't be trivial in what you're telling somebody is pleasing and acceptable to God. We've talked about this these different levels of issues in terms of, uh, of core conviction, opinion, and peripheral issues. Let's talk about the core issues if we're guiding somebody. Don't be blind. Don't be proud in your knowledge. These Pharisees and scribes are lawyers pretty much, and so these words are important to them, and they're proud of how they can tweak these words and make it say what they want. They're tricky. They're scheming. Instead of this, let's see Matthew 5.5, 5, the third one. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek are those that submit in every area of their life to Jesus Christ. That is what a meek person does. The meek don't make exceptions. They don't make excuses. They don't find loopholes. They just submit in everything that they do. Don't be a blind guide. Be meek in your submission to Christ and do it completely. And finally, this morning, the fourth call that we have to change our actions, 23 and 24, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. So with this new year, it was actually part of our announcements. uh, With the new tax season, we have these W-2s coming in. We also have the giving statements that come back from all of our donations, right? So the church will be sending you your giving statement. Um, and again, maybe I'm the only one here. I'm putting myself out there again. Um, but, you know, I, I get these giving statements back from the church. I get it back from other ministries that I donate to, from other nonprofits that I donate to. And, and it's a statement of everything that you gave for the whole year. And that statement for the whole year is a whole lot bigger than every month, obviously. So I see these, and I get this sort of, like, false pride, like, oh, look at how much I gave. I bet none of my friends gave this much, right? And, and I do that. I really do that. I honestly do. And I have this idea that I am better because of what I gave. And it's not a good thing. Money, who cares? It's earthbound. It stays here. It ends here. And something as flighty as money is making me lose the weightier matters of what's going on here. It's not the money that God cares about. It's way more than that. It's justice. It's mercy. It's faithfulness. The fourth beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Hunger and thirst not for carnal things or possessions, but for righteousness. Go after righteousness in Jesus Christ. Go after the weightier matters of the law. The other stuff, like tithing, it will come. It won't be neglected. I really believe it won't be neglected if we're truly pursuing the weightier matters through Jesus. Um, so this, it's kind of a long quote. It's from a book. Russell Stedner wrote this book about the Beatitudes, um, and he actually does a comparison here of this one. 
And he says this, Righteousness is the manifestation of right judgment and mercy and faith in our lives that occurs only when God's Holy Spirit dwells within us. We'll talk about God's Holy Spirit within us later. Righteousness is composed of two components, two components, being through grace, the person God wants us to be, and doing by faith, so through through grace by faith. Um, Second, doing by faith those acts of justice and mercy that God wants us to do. It is both being and doing right. This is what the religious legalists, like the scribes and Pharisees, are never able to obtain, no matter how hard they try. They're always striving hard to tithe the mint, dill, and cumin, the small serves in the garden, while they neglect the foundational virtues of the Christian faith. Being filled with the presence of God is the only way to rest and be satisfied. The legalist will never be satisfied, no matter how many good rules he tries to keep, or how many excellent Christian principles he tries to implement in his own strength. So I said we're looking at three things this morning, uh, focused so far mainly on four parts of the first one, which is God uh, and Jesus calling us to change our actions. So secondly, um, the call to change our actions, and then the fact that there is time to change our actions. So we talked about this earlier. This is pretty much the last sermon of sorts that, that Jesus gives here. And he's saying it now, I believe, because he truly believes that everyone has a chance to change. There's still time for them. They've spent at least the last three years since Jesus started his ministry, maybe more than that since the time he was a child in the synagogues. Um, they've been denying Jesus for that long, denying his truths, trying to trap him. They're sick of him. They want to get rid of him. And it's possible that you came in this morning sick of Jesus, still denying him, denying his word, denying his claims as king, and you've denied committing your life to him up until this point. So I'm here to tell you that right now, Jesus is giving us all another chance. He's telling you there's time, and that time is right now. There's time to change our actions and to not be hypocrites any longer. All these warnings that Jesus gives us, shutting the door to the kingdom of heaven, making false prophets, using tricky schemes to get our way, tithing things that don't really matter. We're called to change from doing those things. Let's not do those things any longer. And there's time to change right now. And God wants us to change right now. Look at Acts. This is when Paul speaks to um, Areopagus about Jesus, whom they've never heard. He tells them about it. They had the inscription to the unknown on the tomb. Acts 17, verses 30 to 31. This is what Paul tells them. The times of ignorance God overlooked. This is before they knew anything, right? And now Jesus has come. We're no longer in ignorance. We have the word of God. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Day is fixed. Don't wait. Start your life with Jesus right now. Have assurance of your salvation. God gives us assurance. Christ raised from the dead. And the third part of the message, our ability to change our actions. We have an ability to change. How are we able to change? We're able to change by not trying to change on our own efforts anymore. It's nothing that we're going to do that is going to change me. It's only what Christ does through me. I need to give up my life so that I can find it. I need to quit saying that everything in my life is good and perfect. That's what the hypocrites say. That's what the hypocrites do. And I need to be honest with my fellow brothers and sisters, these other people sitting around you. Be honest about things that you're going through, things that you're struggling with. If you're honest about being a sinner with one another then you're not a hypocrite. And we all know that we're all sinners. Let's not be hypocrites. Let's share. Let's be vulnerable. Let's talk to one another. 
Let's not be these hypocrites that Jesus is calling out in Matthew 23. Hear Jesus' call to change your actions. Recognize that there's time to change your actions. And know that the only ability that you have to change your actions lies in being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that comes from accepting Jesus Christ who died for you. Romans 10.13 tells us, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So when we call on Jesus, we believe in him, we call on his name, we are now saved, and we are now filled with the Holy Spirit. I've maybe described it before. I'll describe it again. Um, I filled out my application for crew, and they worded it this way. I had no idea how to word it, but I like this, this idea that when we are saved, when we accept Jesus, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We are locked, sealed for salvation. We are indwelt is the way it is used. And then being filled with the Holy Spirit is a daily thing. We're always indwelt. We have that. But we need to be filled. And it's by being filled with the Holy Spirit that we're able to act accordingly and that we're able to change. I can't change my own efforts. But with the Holy Spirit, you better believe I have the power to resist temptation like I couldn't before. I have the power to see Christ through hard times like I didn't before without the Holy Spirit. So the only way we're going to change is by giving our lives to Christ so that we are saved, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, we are now filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can move forward in our faith. Last verse I want to look at, John 16, 7-15. This is Jesus sharing about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit guides us in all truth. We want to change. It's not going to happen in our own power. It's through what Christ did on the cross is through our now being indwelt and filled daily with the Holy Spirit. And all these things we're going to talk a little bit more about next week as we get into more of these theoreticals from the woes that we see. But this morning, we need to realize that Jesus is calling us to change. We have time to change, and we can change with the Holy Spirit. God, um, thank you so much for bringing us to this place. Um, You're here, Jesus. Your presence is here, Holy Spirit. You are moving and working in each and every one of our hearts, whether we're hypocrites or not, whether we claim to be Christians or not. We have life And that life came from you, and you are speaking to us. And God, I pray that this morning we can act on what we're hearing. Holy Spirit, continue to move in us. Allow us to hear more and more that we need you. Allow us to hear more and more that we're broken. And we need a Savior, and that you are there for us. 
Jesus, all of us need you. And God, please make us a church that understands that. Make Gateway Downtown a place that understands your word and a place that can take your word out to our jobs, to our families, to the streets, to the Cavs game, to the bar, everywhere we go. God, I pray we won't just give our own advice to people, but we will constantly be led by your spirit and we'll lead people to you because you are so much better than any idea that I have. Fill us, Father. Help us love you. Help us see you. Help us know you better. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.